Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at the place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the Port Charles 411 Part one of the 60-year recap of General Hospital. We are not, not, not doing as deep of a dive as we do on other storylines. That would take 60 years. That would. <laughs> but we want to give a basic overview of each decade and start with the first 30 years. So the history of General Hospital, we're using General Hospital Fandom, our favorite site. And then in the next 30 years, we will... The next 30 years. So they have a clip of the first episode you can watch. They should have done the music with the picture so that you could see oh, how it changed. Oh, yeah. Years. They've done that before in the past. That would be cool. I think they did that for the 50th. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to see that I know again. the 50th was probably like the big one, but the right. 60th just made it the longest mm-hmm. series, right? Like the longest scripted series. I think that the 60th anniversary like right. marked that. So it should have been, my gosh, in 10 years, it's going to be this. Oh my gosh, we're going to be alive for the 75th anniversary General Hospital. I hope so. Let's hope so. It's only 15 years. Yeah, <sighs> that's true. I don't know. Don't know if it's going to be another 15 days. Who knows? <laughs> Amanda <laughs> loves when I get dark like that. You cannot die in the next 15 days because we are not done. <gasps> no, no. 60th, whatever. Uh, more importantly, it's my son's birthday in 10. So, well, in 11. There so, you go. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, cannot die before his 21st. Nope. And I can't do all these years on my own. I'm just going to be like, I'm sorry. We're stopping now because Shannon died. She let us all <laughs> down. 
Oh my god! That's how I'm gonna. That's now, gonna see, now I'm the people pleaser, so now you know that I won't. Exactly, exactly. I won't be on 2020 going. She was such a swell lady. I'm gonna be like, no, she let all of us down because she left too soon. Do you know that I have a thing with the word swell? Did I ever tell you that? No. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I used to want to be told that I was swell all the time. Oh, because that song Eleanor from the Turtles, like back in the 60s. Because all they sing is, Eleanor, gee, I think you're swell. And I just thought that was so cool. I loved that. <laughs> I've only had one guy ever say it to me, though. Okay. And I don't know that someone didn't tell him to say it to me. Yeah. But it really came out of nowhere that he said it. Okay. Like, it was kind of sarcastic. He's like, you're swell. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, who uses that word anymore? It was not my husband either. Oh, man. So, yeah, but we're just going to go briefly over the storyline. Sorry, that was just like a squirrel <laughs> moment. There's a guy on TikTok, though, that does, if you kidnapped a people pleaser. Yes. <laughs> I had so many people send it to me. Yes. <laughs> and they go, this would be you. It would totally be you. I'm like, yeah, it would. I want to say his name's Tucker or something. I could be wrong. Okay. Anyway, General Hospital was created by Frank and Doris Hursley. The first episode aired April 1st, 1963 on ABC. And this article goes over like who the original cast was, important crew, but we are just going over storylines. They have it broken down. It seems like by couple, by couple for the 60s. So the early years of General Hospital revolved around the seventh floor of a hospital. The internal medicine department in an unnamed mid-sized city in the eastern U.S. Oh. Remember, they didn't get Port Charles until the 70s, I think. Yeah. Dr. Steve Hardy was the chief of internal medicine and the main character of the show. Dr. Hardy spent what seemed like all of his time at the hospital, his days, his nights, and even his weekends. They broke down the units of time. <laughs> Thank you. That, that is kind of how doctors work. That's also how all the time. <laughs> Seeing patients and completing paperwork. Yeah. Because of all the time and attention he gave his work, his fiance Peggy Mercer, left him for writer Roy Lansing. What? In the fall of 1963. Okay, just did a quick side. I don't think that it's the same Lansing family, though. Because there's two different boxes. There's three different number ones. Yeah. So it's not the same Lansing family. <gasps> that would have been so good. If it I was. would have been. Okay. All right. Audrey March. Oh, and she didn't. Mm. Okay. She didn't come back either. Audrey March arrived in town in February of 1964. That's also when the Beatles came to America. She came to visit her much older sister, nurse Lucille March, who was a senior nurse on the seventh floor, but decided to stay when she met Steve. Aww. They soon began to date. Steve and Audrey became engaged, then briefly broke up, but got back together when Steve helped Audrey recover from lymphoma. Steve and Audrey were married in 1965. Audrey was worried when she failed to get pregnant after two years of trying, so she secretly had herself artificially inseminated. Huh. I'm sure that it was, but like, I feel like that would have been a new, we're not deep diving this, but that just surprises me to hear that in the 60s. Yeah. If you know when artificial insemination started, I don't know. Oh my gosh, what if that was the new thing? 
that was in 1965. Sense. And like that was the big medical story. Like now, now Amanda, I just need to know sometimes things. I understand that. When Steve found out, he felt betrayed and moved out. Steve later came around though, but when Audrey miscarried, she was devastated and filed for divorce. She then left town and went to Vietnam. Okay. I couldn't figure out how I... The first reported case of artificial insemination by donor occurred in 1884. Okay, no. When did it become like a commonly... <laughs> a common practice? Or at least... We got the, the... Oh, crap. No, that's not like an easy article to read. That's Hold a medical on. journal. <laughs> the United Kingdom started in the 1930s. Sperm banking first became popular in 1950 and 60s. Again, our Google searches. So yeah, it looks like... Wow, there's so much information here. I've done IUI and I still like... Wow. So we'll just go with maybe the 50s, 60s. Is when it maybe became more popular or more common practice. Am I saying that right? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. All right, so then Audrey returned after six months and got a job as a pediatrics nurse at the hospital... Steve, however, had moved on with hospital volunteer Denise Wilton. Audrey, trying to prove she was over Steve, married Dr. Tom Baldwin. She was in love with Steve, though she was still in love with Steve, though, and couldn't bring herself to consummate the marriage. Tom raped her, and when she found out she was pregnant, Audrey sued Tom for divorce and left town again. Jesse and Phil Brewer. Steve Hardy was good friends with nurse Jesse Brewer, who was having problems in the love area herself. She and her husband, Dr. Phil Brewer, who was seven years younger than she, had been drifting apart partly due to his affair with the younger Cynthia Allison, who was engaged to Dr. Ken Martin. See, yes. they did this right from the start. That, um, that would put some difficulty in your relationship yeah. if your husband is cheating with someone else's wife. But yeah. Okay. Phil finally confessed to his affair with Cynthia and Jesse filed for divorce. The couple, though, came back together when Jesse found out she was pregnant, then broke up again when she miscarried the baby on July 24th, 1964. Phil then raped Jesse. Wow, they really did start these storylines early. Phil then raped Jesse and he left town. Jesse then found out she was pregnant and lawyer and addiction counselor Lee Baldwin, who had long loved Jesse, offered to marry her. They planned to get married the day that Jesse and Phil's divorce was finalized. Plans changed, however, when nurse Lucille March told Phil that Jesse was pregnant. Are you shaking no, your no, head? No, no, no. I'm shaking my head. Like, oh, seriously? <laughs> I'm like, what did I read wrong? No, 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 no. Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm just sitting here like, no. It is. <laughs> like, they were very creative from the start. They planned to marry the day that Jesse and Phil divorced. Phil's divorce was finalized. Plans changed, however, when nurse Lucille March told Phil that Jesse was pregnant and he came back to town. She vowed to go through with the marriage to Lee, but on the day before their wedding, Jesse went into labor and she was still legally married to Phil. Their daughter, Nancy, was born with a heart condition and she died Aww. in July, on July 27, 1966. These poor people. The divorce finally went through and Phil moved to San Francisco. After divorcing Phil, Jesse dated obstetrician Dr. John Prentice and married him. John was very ill and dying. His 20-year-old daughter, Polly Prentice, resented John rewriting his will to give Jesse everything. Days later, John was dead. 
Jesse was put on trial along with Dr. Tom Baldwin, with whom Polly had revealed Jesse had had an affair for the murder of John Prentice. Jesse and Tom were found guilty, but Phil returned to town, pledging to prove Jesse's innocence. Tom got Polly to confess to her father's murder, and Jesse and Tom were set free. It's like the original Legally Blonde! <laughs> Sorry! That's okay. That's such a good movie. We just watched that the other day. I That is like the best scene. Yes. Thinking Phil had changed, Jesse remarried him. She was wrong, though, and Phil started having an affair with Polly. Phil and Polly were in a car accident, and Polly miscarried a baby she claimed was Phil's. Did they just, like, not have the budget to have kids on at this time? Maybe there weren't. Well, no, there should have been child labor laws with acting, because didn't that happen after the 30s? Can we not use a baby doll, at the very least? Like, why do we have to have miscarriages or kill all these poor children? We can keep the kids. (sighs) Charges were brought against Phil, and he fled town. Months later, in November of 1969, Phil was presumed dead, when a P. Brewer was listed among the dead in an airplane crash in South America. Psychiatrist Dr. Peter Taylor came to town and took a liking to Jesse, and they eventually married. Phil, however, was not actually dead. (gasps) And then we had Angie Costello and Eddie Weeks. Steve Hardy's first patient at General Hospital was a teenager, Angie Costello, who had been in in a bad car accident when her boyfriend, Eddie Weeks, had decided to drive drunk. Angie's face was badly disfigured, and it took surgeons hours to repair the damage. Angie was despondent and contemplated suicide. Steve and Jesse Brewer, however, talked her out of it. Angie was then called to testify against Eddie in his drunk driving trial. She admitted on the stand that he had had a few beers before getting behind the wheel, and that helped the prosecution get a guilty ruling. Eddie was sentenced to probation, and the young couple broke up. Angie, however, found out she was pregnant. Oh my gosh! (laughs) And Jesse... We can also have women that don't get pregnant. <sighs> Jesse calmed and comforted her. Angie gave up her son for adoption to Janet Fleming. Then two years later, Angie and Eddie started dating again, and they decided they wanted their son back. Look, you can't all do that. When Janet wouldn't give the baby back, the teenagers kidnapped him. When they were caught, Lee Baldwin defended them, and they were sentenced to probation and had to give the baby back to Janet. Well, I would hope so. Well, I want to know what happened to the baby. Can we tie him in somewhere? They probably killed him off a week later because she couldn't have any kids at this time. Lee and Meg Baldwin. In the summer of 1966, a widowed nurse named Meg Bentley came to town with her young son, Scotty, and her 17-year-old stepdaughter, Brooke. Lee Baldwin liked Meg and they became great friends, but Meg became engaged to Dr. Noel Clinton. Noel, however, shocked Meg when he left her for Brooke the day before their wedding. What? Meg then turned to Lee and they began to date. Late in 1966, Meg and Lee married, and Lee adopted Scotty. Meg, however, started getting paranoid that Lee was having an affair with her nursing school friend, Iris Fairchild, who was working for Lee as his secretary. Lee and Meg briefly briefly separated, but got back together after Lee donated his kidney to save Scotty's life. I didn't know that. I did not know that either. Scotty never talks. Why has he never talked about that with Joss? Right. Ugh. Come on. And then that brings us to the 70s. Seriously, I want Scotty to talk about this kidney. I feel like this would have come up before. Yes. You'd think. (sighs) Okay. 1970s. Audrey Hardy Baldwin Hobart. In February of 1971, Audrey Hardy Baldwin returned to Port Charles. I want to know who in the history of the show 
has the longest name. Oh, I think it's Carly. Absolutely. I would think that it's going to be Carly, but we should totally do that because we've always done, you know, it's Laura Weber, Laura Vining Weber, Baldwin, Spencer, Collins. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, she, she was married to one of the Cassadines. Stavros married. No, they were engaged. Stavros held her hostage. Ooh. Yeah, I don't think I'm making thought, a lot of people mad right I now because I'm yeah, just not, it's not. No, they didn't get married. And even if they would have, I don't feel like she would have put Cassidine in her name because that wasn't of her choosing. True. Okay. Okay. We'll go with that. So in February of 1971, Audrey Hardy Baldwin returned to Poor Charles without the baby she was pregnant with when she left two years earlier. She claimed her baby was stillborn. Hmm. Audrey, who was still legally married to Tom Baldwin, was not telling the truth, however. In actuality, her baby, whom she called Stevie, was living across town with Peggy Nelson. Audrey thought that if Tom knew the baby was alive, that he would never give them up and contest the divorce. Audrey planned... It's also really interesting to think about how these laws have changed Yeah. in the meantime. Audrey planned to tell Steve Hardy that Peggy's child was a foster child, and after divorcing Tom, she would marry Steve and they would adopt him. Peggy, however, found out about the plan and started blackmailing Audrey. If Audrey didn't pay Peggy $500 oh, a month, I was going to say, I'm like, $500? Okay, here, keep my secret. $500 a month, Peggy would reveal the truth about Stevie. On the night of September 24th, 1971, Audrey came home with Stevie and a gun. She was agitated and panicking. She put the gun in the water tank of the toilet. Across town, Peggy was lying dead from a gun- gunshot wound. Ooh. The truth about Stevie came out and all the evidence pointed to Audrey being the murderer. Audrey, however, adamantly told Steve that she was innocent and he believed her. In the end, Peggy's ex-husband, Arnold Nelson, was revealed as the true murderer. Oh. Seeing as the truth was out, Audrey had to go back to her marriage with Tom. Stevie was renamed Tommy and Tom eventually kidnapped Tommy and fled to Mexico. Months later, a nanny, Florence Andrews, brought Tommy back to Audrey saying that Tom had died. After Tommy came home, he fell ill and needed open heart surgery. Dr. Jim Hobart saved young Tommy's life. And Audrey was so grateful that she started dating him and married him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. In 1976, Audrey's marriage to Jim was failing. He started an affair with medical student Sally Grimes and Audrey turned back to Steve for support. After Jim left her, a depressed Audrey took a bunch of sleeping pills. Steve came in and found her and rushed her to GH where she pulled through. One day, Audrey went into Steve's office and declared her love for him, and he returned her feelings. Steve was so excited, he ran out of his office and fell down the stairs. Oh, my God. After touch-and-go surgery, Steve was rendered paralyzed. He declared that he would not marry Audrey until he could walk down the aisle with her. Audrey and Steve planned to remarry. The problem, though, was that Tom Baldwin had not actually died. He was actually in a prison in Mexico for a murder he did not commit. When Steve was able to walk again, they remarried. When they returned from their honeymoon, they found Tom back in Port Charles. He said he didn't want any trouble. He just wanted his son. Seeing as Tom was back, Audrey was conflicted as to what to do. Tom said he was still in love with Audrey and Tommy wanted his parents back together. Audrey, however, was in love with Steve. Audrey refused refused to resume her marriage to Tommy, to Tom, and he said that he would go to Salt Lake City, but he was taking Tommy with him. Tommy ran away, and seeing the strain he was putting on his son, Tommy, Tom reluctantly divorced Audrey and left town without Tommy. 
Audrey and Steve were finally legally married in the autumn of 1977. I wonder if Elizabeth knows all of that. Oh, she has to. No wonder Graham is so understanding of Elizabeth's all the things. Things. Because... Oh, you think you accidentally killed someone? Listen, I've been there. It's okay. <laughs> right. Let's talk it through. It'll be okay. So Lee Baldwin in 1970, Brooke came to live with Lee and Meg after her marriage to Noel Clinton broke up. Meg was then diagnosed with breast cancer and had to undergo a radical mastectomy. Meg became increasingly jealous of Brooke and had a nervous breakdown. Lee was then forced to institutionalize her. I wonder what the name of the institution was that he went, he sent her to. Oh. After Meg was released from the institution, she suffered from a severe case of hypertension. Dr. Leslie Williams was assigned to Meg's case. Meg became increasingly jealous of Leslie and paranoid that she was after her husband. One day, Meg lashed out at Lee and died of a stroke. Oh, my. <laughs> Adoption agent Caroline Chandler came to town and got reacquainted with her old friend, Lee. They began dating and then married. Wasn't Chandler Sky's last name? And then that was also carried over to Bold in the Butte? One, one Life to Live? Live? No, not One Life to Live. Um, all My Children. All My Children? Okay. Sorry. No, that's okay. So I wonder if that's the same person. Okay. Don't know. Or like the same family. Right. Okay. Lee returned to Port Charles in 1977 to help his brother Tom Baldwin with his custody battle with Audrey Hardy. He intended to go back home to Florida, but he got work. I'm sorry. He got word that his wife, Caroline, and her son, Bobby, were lost at sea. What? After going back to Florida briefly to make funeral arrangements, Lee returned to Port Charles. Upon his return, he befriended Dr. Gail Adamson. Seeing as Lee was grieving his wife and stepson, Gail contacted Lee's adopted son, Scotty, asking him to come back to town. And then the Brewer-Taylor quadrangle. Wow. Yeah. After recovering from the plane crash in Venezuela... Phil Brewer sneaked back into town wearing a beard and using the alias Harold Williamson, believing that he was still wanted for the murder of Polly Prentice. He took a job as a dishwasher at a restaurant and started a relationship with Diane Maynard. Diana Maynard. He still longed for Jessie, but knew that he couldn't be with her. Diana found out Phil's true identity, but, kept, but chose to keep it a secret, as well as not telling Phil that the charges against him had been dropped. Phil, though, found out the truth on his own when he searched through old newspapers at the library, like you had to do back in the day. <laughs> when he was angry at Diane, he was then angry at Diana for keeping this information from well, him. Yeah, that is yeah. not a good relationship. It's like the Liz Jake Doe knowing yeah. he is Jason thing. Phil went to see Jesse. Well, like anything that anyone who knows the truth about a <laughs> life changing. As soon as I said that, I was like, oh, yeah, and the DNA tests and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, do, 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 do. Phil went to see Jesse, but when he saw her with her new husband, Peter Taylor, he sped off only to crash his car. Oh man. He laid in his hospital bed, recovering with the bandit with bandages. After delicate brain surgery, his bandages were removed and Jesse saw and recognized him. While Phil was in the hospital, Diana found out she was pregnant with his child. Jesse, however, went back to Phil and Diana and Peter turned to each other. Phil found out that the baby was his and left Jesse wanting to be with Diana. Diana, however, loved Peter and soon married him and then gave birth to Phil's son, whom she named Tracy Taylor. Diana hated Phil so much with that when Tracy came back, came down with pneumonia, she refused to take him to the hospital. No, nope, nope. You don't do that to kids. Nope. Nope. That's, mm -mm. oh my God. 
So knowing, oh, she refused to take him to the hospital knowing that she would run into Phil. Because of this, Tracy died. (laughs) No. Yeah, I read ahead there. That was my, oh my God. Phil became increasingly obsessed with Diana. Why? Yeah, Phil should not be obsessed with Diana. He should want to kill her because she let their son die. Right. And one night he raped her. So this is now Phil's second rape. That's that's not cool. Diana, however, kept it a secret from Peter, fearing repercussions. Uh, mm. Oh, my God. (laughs) I feel like that has definitely changed, though. That a woman, well, not always. Some women still feel that it's their fault, and it's not. But there was definitely a time where guys would have put the blame on her. Oh, absolutely. I'm Just sure. Continue reading though. Cause yeah. you're going to be angry. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> Thank you. Ugh. Diana then found out she was pregnant again with Phil's baby. Seriously. ABC. We want, please send us the tapes. <laughs> please send us the, please. I, please, please. Like I will seriously be yelling at the TV as we say in our intro. This is absurd. She gave birth to Martha tip. Martha Taylor and Phil left for Africa. When the secret came out, Peter rejected Diana feeling betrayed. Oh yeah. That was Phil. That w- I, I yeah. can't keep this straight. Yeah. And Diana filed for divorce. Okay. I'm not sure why he didn't feel upset and betrayed when she let her child, his stepson die, but okay. It just makes you mad whenever she has a baby with someone who raped her. Okay, then in Africa, Phil still longed for Diana. He got nurse Augusta McLeod, McLeod, Cesar's mom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Ooh, ooh, I'm really good at this game. You are. Nurse Jane Dawson's cousin. See, now here's, like, we're not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go off and see if that's related to Cesar. Okay. But. Okay. I would love to. She's going to after this. (laughs) I will. Nurse Jane Dawson's cousin to help him. Augusta seduced Peter and Diana struck up a relationship with Dr. Joel Stratton. The couple went, the couple was heading for divorce, but at the last minute reconciled. Due to the reconciliation, Augusta told Phil he needed to return to town. Augusta needed Phil's help to break them up because she was pregnant with Peter's child. Mm. When Phil arrived in the in front of the seventh floor nurses station, he told Peter that Augusta was pregnant with his child. Phil threatened to tell Diana, and Peter knocked down Phil and loudly shouted for him to stay away from Diana, or he would kill Phil. Later that night, December sixth, nineteen seventy four, Phil was found dead. Oh no! I remember this now. The second time he's died. There were many suspects, but Jesse Brewer was charged with the m- murder. Where did Jesse come into all of this? Mm-mm. Before Jesse went to trial, this is now Jesse's second trial, too, Mm -hmm. for murder. Before she went to trial, Diana confessed to the murder and produced the murder weapon, a blood-stained geode. Wow. That's creative. Uh Uh-huh. Diana was finally exonerated when Jim Hobart remembered seeing Augusta McLeod with Phil that night. Augusta confessed and went to prison where she had her baby who was placed in a foster home. I want to know what happened to that baby now. Okay. okay. You should make a list of all the things you want to know. I just feel like that's the stuff that they could be tying into. Like, I don't want Dex to be Jason's or Sonny's. Make no. him make him the descendant of somebody here. Or, I mean, this is a pretty far back, but you know. Right. 
do something with that. That would be fun. Okay. The Dawsons. Nurse Jane Dawson was married to Howie Dawson, who often would cheat on her and gamble away their money on horse races. But Jane always forgave him because she loved him so much. Oh, Jane, you and I could talk. Howie did not want children, so without his wife knowing, he underwent a vasectomy. This caused Jane to nearly divorce him, but she forgave him when he told her it would never happen again and he had it reversed. I was going to say, no kidding, it wouldn't happen again. (laughs) It would never happen again because you can only get a vasectomy. Like, I only got one done? I don't know how that works. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, it's on the office. Snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap. Yeah. Okay, poor, poor girl. Anyway, the Dawsons then had a daughter named Joanne. Howie, however, continued his old ways when he played around with Brooke Clinton. Wow, that's a way to word that. When he played around with Brooke Clinton, Jane finally had had enough. She told him she wanted a whole marriage or none at all. Howie decided to leave Brooke. He took her out to one last dinner, but after he dropped her home, she was murdered (gasps) by her... This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Other boyfriend. What? And ex-boss, Burt Douglas. Yeah, that's what you deserve, guy, because you thought you were her one and only, but she had another boyfriend. Howie was the main suspect in the murder case, but was exonerated when he recalled seeing Bert that night. In 1974, Howie quit his job and left town, leaving Jane relieved. He returned only once when his infant daughter, Joanne, died. Why are we killing all these babies? We don't know. Oh, yeah, infant daughter. Never mind. (sighs) Jane then fell for Dr. Henry Pinkham, whose wife, Sharon, had left. The couple decided they needed a fresh start, so they both transferred to Mercy Hospital. Now, what happened to them? Okay, and I'm sorry, but, like, in our town, within, like, a half-hour drive, there are two hospitals. If you wanted a fresh start, you would not jump from one hospital to the other. Within a half-hour, there's you, more than two. There's Yes, but I'm, like, I'm like, like, you're only in, in our, this direction. Okay. So, not having to go into town. We have a ton. Yeah, there's two there. I would not say, oh, I've worked at this hospital. I need a fresh start. I'm going to go across Across the the street street and down two miles. No. I want (laughs) the, like, Bizarro World where Mercy is the other, it's like General Hospital, but the Bizarro World version of it. And I want to know what happened to the Dawsons. Okay. I'll I'll call them up and ask them. Make them come back. Okay. Dude, they're old now. Well, no, but I mean, like, make their lineage come back and be like, that would be good. we used to rule, th- my family used to rule this place. When 
GH was getting shut down because of all of the money issues and the doctors were going to Mercy, they should have got to meet the yes. children of yes, them. Yes, that would have been cool. There you go. So here's the start with Laura Vining Weber Baldwin, who then goes on to be Spencer Collins. Collins. Mm-hmm. So that's five last names. Well, it depends on if... if and you wouldn't, but it depends on if she would put each one. Because it was Laura Vining Weber, Baldwin. Oh, gosh. Spencer, Spencer Baldwin. Baldwin. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's where her Carly is still the long. longest. Right. Carly married different men. Laura married the same men repeatedly. Carly's married Sonny like four times. Yeah, but she had other ones. Right, right, right. It'd be like in every other. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Getting Laura back. Dr. Leslie Williams' first patient at General Hospital was Mrs. Florence Gray. Does that name sound familiar? That's right. We brought her back because that's Martin's mommy. Yes. She likes hummingbird cake. She does. We still haven't made that. No, we haven't. Uh, Florence revealed her marital woes to psychiatrist Dr. Peter Taylor. She told him how her husband, Gordon Gray, was a professor and had an affair years before with a student who had gotten pregnant. She said that the baby girl was born and died soon after. <sighs> Peter informed Leslie of this, not thinking anything of it. And Leslie knew that she was the student Florence spoke of. Leslie then couldn't stop thinking about her daughter. Leslie started dating millionaire. Oh, hello. Cameron Faulkner. The couple got married and a patient named Doris Roach told Leslie that she had been a nurse where she had given birth to her daughter. She That's like. Uh, Phyllis and Nina. Yep. She said that the baby did not die like Leslie had thought. Instead, Leslie's father had paid. This is, okay, this yes. is, this is <laughs> Nina. Yes. And Madeline. Yes. Okay. Leslie's father had paid her to switch the baby with the body of a dead baby at the clinic. That oh, is horrible. That at is least horrible. Madeline just said that they died. Right. There was no switching. I mean, that's still not okay, but at least Madeline wasn't like, uh-uh. This- but the difference is that... Nina was in a coma, so she wasn't right. awake to ask questions. Right. Leslie was. Yeah. Yeah. With this new information, Leslie was determined to find her child. Cameron hired Mac McLaughlin to find the child. He found 12-year-old Laura Vining living with her parents and younger sister Amy Vining just a few miles away. Leslie want, went to a candy store where she saw Laura. She then struck up a friendship with Laura, buying her lunch and presents. Laura's parents, Barbara and Jason Vining, were curious as to why Leslie wanted their as to what Leslie wanted with their daughter. When the truth was, when the truth that Leslie was her biological mother came out, they vowed not to let Laura go. A custody battle ensued. The judge gave temporary custody to Leslie so that Laura could choose whom she wanted to reside. No. Mm-mm. Laura had a hard time choosing because she was a child between the Vinings and the Faulkners. She started suffering from high fevers and convulsions from being under such great emotional pain. Leslie decided to drop the custody suit and returned Laura to the Vinings to avoid further emotional pain. Oh, that's like Solomon. Leslie remained, you know, there was the true mother is yes. going to give up. <laughs> Leslie remained obsessed with their daughter, though, with her daughter, though. Laura suffered, suffered another attack and Barbara asked Leslie to remain in Laura's life. Good job doing what's best for the kid. Cameron was very jealous at the time that Leslie was spending with Laura instead of him. Yeah. When Laura decided to spend the summer of 1976 with them, he declared that it was time to get her out of their lives for good. Cameron paid Margaret Clifford, another former nurse at the clinic where Laura was born, $10,000 
to tell Leslie that Doris Roach had lied and Laura was not actually her daughter. Laura decided to go to Barbara and tell her what she was told, but when she got there, the house was deserted. Leslie then found a check for $25,000 from Cameron to Barbara. Cameron realized that his plan was exposed and exploded. He brutally raped Leslie, then kidnapped her. In the car, Leslie grabbed the steering wheel, causing it to crash, killing Cameron. In 1977, Rick Weber grew closer to Leslie as they went out to look for Laura. In Detroit, they found information that led them to Canada. There, Barbara dragged the now teenage rebellious Laura away from a commune. Hi, Willow. Uh-huh. Laura shouted at both of her mothers that she didn't want either one of them. Rick succeeded in getting Laura away from the commune and was able to bring her back to poor Charles, where he got through to her that both her, both of her mothers left her. Laura then went to live with Leslie and Rick adopted her after he married Leslie. In September of 1977, Laura's adoptive father, Rick's old best friend, Rick's old friend, David Hamilton, came to live with them after he had lost his wife and kids in a hurricane. Laura adored David and struck up a friendship, which worried Laura's mother, Leslie. Laura suffered from a severe case of growing pains. She accused Rick, Leslie, and her boyfriend, Scotty, of treating her like a child. She said that David and Dr. Monica Weber treated her like an adult. Laura convinced Monica to give her birth control pills. Ooh, now, that would be a fun conversation for them to be having that now. would. Like, hey, remember back when I was a teenager and you got me birth control? Thanks. After David made a pass at Leslie and she rejected him, he moved on to the impressionable Laura. He seduced her and Laura started an affair with a much older David. Laura began neglecting her schoolwork, family, and friends. Laura begged David to take her away from poor Charles. She went to meet him, and David screamed at her that he didn't want her. He had always wanted her mother. Laura was furious and pushed David, who fell and hit his head on the fireplace hearth, killing him. Leslie confessed to the murder to protect Laura. Laura, however, had blocked the incident from her mind and didn't remember any of it. Leslie was indicted by a grand jury, but before she could stand trial, Laura remembered what happened and confessed, freeing Leslie. Laura was sentenced to probation. Well, I would hope so. It was an accident and she was a child. Right. Laura, Scotty, Bobby, and Luke. Scotty Baldwin had gotten a job at General Hospital as a clerk and met teenager Laura Weber. They soon started dating but broke up when she moved to David Hamilton. After Laura was sentenced to probation for his murder, she and Scotty started dating again. Oh, you killed that guy? You want to go out for some milkshakes? Right. Let me decide to get a job in law. A job in law. (laughs) In 1978, nurse Bobby Spencer came to town and quickly took a liking to Scotty. Laura, however, was in the way. Bobby set out to break the young couple up so that she could have Scotty for herself. After one of their arguments, Bobby comforted Scotty and took him home to her rooming house, which was forbidden. Because of this, she was evicted and moved in with Jesse Brewer. Scotty and Bobby then began to sleep together, but he decided to spend more time with Laura and Bobby didn't want to hear it. She said that Scotty was the first man she had ever slept with that she truly loved. No, you got to read that <laughs> sentence. Scotty was the There's first, a different there context is, with a different enunciation. Scotty was the first man she ever slept with that she truly loved since she had a past as a prostitute. When Scotty left Bobby for Laura, she called her older brother, Luke Spencer, to come and help her get Laura out of the way. 
I would love to like rehear that conversation. Like, hey, I really like this boy. So can you come get his girlfriend out of the way? Right? Like, what? And looks like, okay, Barbara Jean. Sure. I'll be right there. Early in 1979, Bobby faked a pregnancy. She even. Ah, sorry. Bobby got Luke to tamper with Scotty's car. What? Bobby got Luke to tamper with Scotty's car so that the couple would be out past Laura's curfew for her probation. Yeah. She then called Laura's probation officer, John Higgins, alerting him of the violation. Bobby and Luke tried scheme after scheme to get Laura sent to reform school. And if that didn't work, she thought she'd get pregnant with Scotty's child. That never works out well. Nope. Early in 1979, Bobby faked a pregnancy. She even faked a positive pregnancy test to convince Scotty. She tricked Scotty into a marriage proposal, and it seemed that Bobby would finally have her man. But Leslie found out about Bobby's scheming and revealed the truth to Scotty days before their wedding. Scotty left Bobby and went back to Laura. Laura and Scotty planned for a June wedding. I just, I love this, like... Back and forth. Oh, you know, I'm not actually going to marry her now because mm-hmm. she was lying about being pregnant. So what are you doing in a couple months? You want to get married? Yeah, sure. <sighs> but Laura's parents were against it. They felt Laura was still too young to get married. Laura became disillusioned as the wedding date approached and little had been done. She returned the engagement ring to Scotty only for Bobby to get Roy DeLuca to steal it from him for her next scheme to get Scotty. Jeez. Bobby convinced the bartender at the campus disco to slip Scotty a Mickey. Like a roofie. Okay. I didn't know if it was like a specific something. That's what they used to call. And then she took him back to his place. When Laura arrived, Bobby made it appear that they had been having sex and put Laura's engagement ring on her finger. (gasps) Then she opened the door. When Laura saw the scene, she ran out, but she and Scotty did get back together and had their June wedding. Scotty found himself working all the time and had little time for his new wife, Laura. Bored, Laura convinced Luke to give her a job as a waitress at the campus disco, which he managed. Luke had fallen in love with Laura the moment he saw her months before. Luke and Laura soon became friends. Although Luke was no stranger to petty crime and had ties to mobster Frank Smith, Laura saw the good in him. Luke quickly became obsessed with Laura and he started having dreams about her. Laura too became fascinated with Luke. One time Luke confessed intimate feelings to a shocked Laura. He pulled back and promised they'd be just friends. Luke had been working for Frank Smith and to test his loyalty, Frank asked Luke to assassinate Mitch Williams, who was running for Senate on election night. This was a certain suicide mission and Luke knew he was marked for death. One night, after Laura had had an argument with Scotty, a drunk Luke came to her at the campus disco after closing. He cried to her that he was going to die in a month. Feeling his life and dreams were over, in an outpouring of love, jealousy, obsession, and sexual tension and rage, Luke confessed his feelings to Laura. Laura became frightened at how Luke was acting and talking. He then pulled her to the floor where he raped her. Luke immediately regretted what he had done. Laura told a police officer she had been raped, but didn't tell anyone that it was Luke who had done it. Roy DeLuca was a suspect, and Laura saved him by giving a false description of her rapist. Laura also kept her job at the campus disco, which undoubtedly was awkward and uneasy for both Luke and Laura. Luke and Laura ironically remained friends as Laura struggled to figure out whether Luke actually 
brutally raped her or if she encouraged him. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. If she did not say, hey, let's do this, then that was not consent. Mm -mm. And then we have the Webbers. In the March of 1976, Terry Arnett came to town after the death of her father, Dr. Lars Weber, and his wife, Helene. Terry's younger brothers were Dr. Rick and Jeff Weber. Their father, Lars, was an old friend of Dr. Steve Hardy, and Rick volunteered six, a six-month stint in Africa, where he was reported dead after a small plane crash. Jeff and his wife, Monica, both graduated from medical school and got jobs at General Hospital. Monica had previously been engaged to Rick, but moved on to his younger brother Ew. after hearing of Rick's death. And the next one they have is Jeff, Rick, Monica, Leslie, and Heather. I feel like our 411s about Leslie, Monica, Jeff, and Heather would probably wrap this up. Yep. I don't know if we have to read into so much detail because it, it looks a, it looks very, very familiar. It basically talks about the back and forth that Monica had between Jeff and Rick and the they're dead. No, they're not. And then Heather Weber comes in and falls in love with Jeff. And then Leslie was also in love with Rick. Right. So Rick and Leslie fought over Rick. And then. And we've seen this in the day to day, not day to day, but like when they have Leslie and Monica in the same room together, they say something about, oh, yeah, remember that time we like hated each other because we were fighting over the same men? Right. Oh, okay. Good that we grew up since then yeah because then it talks about jeff trying to take his own life and how jeff found out that he was actually stephen weber's steve hardy's son heather having jeff's baby heather saying that stephen lars died he didn't <laughs> the epidemic of the loss of fever heather starting her lsd lsd as a thing and then monica thinking that she was pregnant with rick's baby Right. And Leslie. Yeah. I go back and listen to our recaps of Heather, Leslie, Jeff, and Monica's lovers. 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 It was basically just the two women fighting over these same two men and being very confused. Three women. Three women. Fighting and, over two men. And getting indifferent. Pregnant and not pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> I think the only person we haven't done a 411 about is Rick. Yeah. So are you good with that? I'm good or with just, that. Okay. Because that's a lot of stuff that we've already Right. We're trying to keep it condensed down and... Yes. We have not talked a lot about their sister, though. No. Mark, Dante, and Terry. Mark was in a love triangle with Rick and Jeff's sister, Terry. He couldn't act on his feelings for Terry because he already had a wife. Well, good job for not acting on those feelings. Because, yes, you're only allowed one. One per customer. Mary Ellen and in a... Yeah. Mary Ellen in an asylum back in Boston. Mark then brought Mary Ellen to town and put her in a sanitarium outside of town. When Mary Ellen found out about her husband's passion for Terry, she vowed to keep them apart. Mary Ellen was released from the sanitarium in 1977 and wanted to get Terry away from her husband. She had a chauffeur, Lenny, rig the brakes on Terry's car so that she would crash. After the crash, Mark had to perform heroic surgery on her to save her life. When Terry remembered fighting with Mary Ellen before the crash, she threatened to tell Mark. Mary Ellen then slashed her wrists in a suicide attempt, and Terry backed down. Terry left Mark in fear of what Mary Ellen might do if she didn't. Terry then left town. And then we move on to Ellen and Monica, and I can say without a doubt, 
that the 12 part series <laughs> we did for Alan Quartermain, in addition to Monica's Levas, yep. will 1000% cover everything there. Mm -hmm. And then that also carried over into the 80s, where it again talks about Alan and Monica's marital woes. So we have really lacked in doing 411s is, is about be, the 60s. But is that going to be 10? Um, Ten paragraphs where it's like, but then their relationship got complicated because right. Alan cheated, and then their relationship got complicated because Monica had an affair. Right. I feel like that's all it's going to be. Exactly. So go listen to those. I mean, they fought over AJ's paternity. You know, they had the issues with Rick. Alan tried to kill Rick. Mm -hmm. um, Leslie still wanted Rick. I think the only oh, thing they that were charged with Susan or he was charged oh, with yeah. Susan Moore's because that's who he had an affair with was Susan Moore mm -hmm. and she had their baby Jason. Yep. God, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think the only thing that it said in 80 that we hadn't really talked about was the jealousy of Tracy because they were having a baby and Tracy was like, now they're going to get all the money because I don't have a baby yet. I feel like we talked about that though. Possibly was it? Well, I mean, she had a baby. I shouldn't say she hadn't yeah, had yeah. a baby yet. She had a baby. Yeah, we talked about that with Because Monica had slept with her baby that was no longer a baby. Right. But she didn't have a quarter main. Right. So. Yeah, so then it just, it wraps really up in the 80s with um, Monica and Alan stayed together. Susan had the baby. And Monica was supporting him being involved. Yes. Are we continuing with the yeah. 80s? Go ahead. Okay. Rick and Leslie Weber. In 1980, Leslie left Rick when he thought he was the father of Monica's court, Monica Quartermain's son, Alan Jr., so that he could marry Monica. Monica, however, found out that the baby was actually her husband, Alan's. Rick and Leslie began setting up a new clinic together and became close again. And then in 1981, they planned to remarry. They also planned to open a new waterfront sports center and they also began proceedings to adopt a little boy, Mike. We really need to do like a 411 about Luke and Laura. It'll take the whole year. I was going to say, we did their wedding and it took a while. So the summer on the run in the 1980s, despite everything that had happened between them, Luke and Laura in the months before, namely the rape, they still remained drawn to each other. Laura's husband, Scotty, however, has, was growing closer to the truth about Laura's rape. Luke loved Laura, but dated Jennifer Smith. We talked about this with Jennifer mm -hmm. Smith's 411. And Laura got um, jealous. And this is why Jennifer Smith hates Laura, was because she knew that she was only being used for Luke to get over the feelings for Laura. And Luke only married her also to help take care of the business. Mm -hmm. Because he, Luke asked Frank to give him a contract to give him a title to his legitimate business because that's when he opened up the... No. All right. So a lot of this information actually was talked about in the Jennifer Smith 411 mm -hmm. that we did. So if you want to learn more about Luke's time away from Laura with Jennifer Smith, go listen to Jennifer Smith. We didn't really talk... We did talk about Luke and Laura's wedding, mm -hmm. but we didn't talk about when... Scott found out. Oh yeah, we did. That was also, so also part of the Jennifer Smith though, was that Scott had in the meantime found out that Luke had raped Laura and he went and got into a fistfight with Luke. Luke fell overboard and was presumed dead. And Scott was charged with mm -hmm. his murder. Feeling that her marriage was over, Laura ran away with Luke and they ran from a hit 
man named Hutch, whom Frank had hired to kill them, and were on the mission to decode the Black Book and solve the mystery of the left-handed boy. So the Black Book also had to do with the... Is it the Ice Princess? I think that this is starting into the Ice Princess. That would make sense. Okay. Okay. Do-do-do-do-do. Talks about how Laura was still married to Scott, and then they she got a divorce and find out that he had already left her. She tried to contact Luke, but he had vowed to not let Laura back into his life. Maybe that, I think that black book was actually all the stuff that had to do with Frank Smith. I know that we've talked about this black book. Oh, right. Cause this was before the Cassadine crazy. It was, it was. Cause Cassadine showed up at the wedding. And then in 1981, Laura dated Australian man who came to town named Robert Scorpio for a short time. Although back then he was just known as Scorpio and purposely made Luke jealous later Laura confessed to Luke that she had lied about the rape and that she really loved him that night. Mm-hmm. Nope. Good news. That just a spoiler alert that did get changed back to the truth in the nineties. Yes. And an amazing, amazing, great episode, not great episode. They corrected it. Much needed episode. Yes. Yes. Later, Luke took Laura out and asked him to marry her, which she promptly accepted. Laura then puts ads in the newspaper looking for Scotty so she could divorce him. There's the Ice Princess. And then it talks here about after the Ice Princess saga, which we did an entire series on that as well. Uh, They hardly planned a November wedding. Laura was still legally married to Scott. However, he agreed to a divorce, but she had not received the papers two days before the wedding. Turned out that Scotty's alcoholic father, Lee, had burned them because he was bitter over Laura's betrayal. And then it goes into talking about their wedding. Just a quick recap. This is where we got Helena when she was played by Elizabeth Taylor. And we did an entire thing about Luke and Laura's wedding. And then she went to, Laura went to New York with Tiffany Hill, who said she could become a star in the cosmetic industry. While there, Laura became apprehensive, feeling that she was being watched, which she was by a man named David Gray. Okay. So the next thing they mentioned in the 80s is about Jeff and Heather, Jeff, Heather, and Diana's murder, which we covered in both Jeff and Heather's 411s. So I don't think we have to recopy, recap that again. It's all about PJ, who was actually Stephen Lars, and Diana was taking care of Stephen Lars. Mm-hmm. And Heather wanted him back. Right. Edward disinherits Tracy, we talked about. Yes, whenever he drew up the new will, disinheriting Tracy. And that was whenever he suddenly collapsed, having a heart attack, and she wouldn't help him. Yeah. And then she felt guilty for the fact that she had not helped him. And I think that was also part of the Alan Quartermain series. Yes. And then they go into the Ice Princess, which we have already done a four-part series on, so we do not need to recap that now. And that's actually where they end the 80s, is at the end with the Ice Princess. Hey there, it's Shannon. As I was editing, I couldn't believe that we did not... As we were going through, okay, we've done a 411 on this. We've done a 411 on this. The article we were reading actually ended the 80s at the Ice Princess. And as I was editing, I'm like, they missed so, so much. And thankfully, all of it are things that we did 411s about. So some things that they missed were Holly and her love triangle with Luke and Robert. We've actually done an entire 411 just about Holly. Um, Also, the time that Luke, quote, died in an avalanche. 
And then there was the Mexican Adventure, which, you know, brought us Sean Donnelly. We had the Aztec Princess, brought us Frisco, Felicia, and Anna. Then we moved into the Asian Quarter, which brought us Robin. We did do 411s about every single one of those stories. It was pretty much most of the summer, most of the spring and summer of 2022 is when we did those 411s. So please, please, please. I mean, those are the stories that brought us these amazing, legendary characters that we still have today and we still love today. So I don't know why they were left out of that original article, but thank goodness we have done the work and each one is a multiple part series. You have to have to go check it out. So thank you again so much for listening. So we know that that kind of got a little choppy at the end, but we really have done a ton of 411s on all this. Right. I don't feel like we need to repeat the same stuff to you that you've already heard us say. Nope. And if you haven't, we gave more detail. Right. And if you haven't, just search for that 411 and you will get all the detail you need for that certain subject. Yep. And if there's a subject that we have not covered yet, please let us know that you would like. Or you could also tell us a 411. We could also do that. That'd be fun. That would be fun. That'd be a lot of fun. All right, cool. But join us on Monday as we recap this week's shows. Have a good weekend. And we'll meet you at the pier. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed today's show, we invite you to go to pier54podcast.com to subscribe on your favorite platform. Don't forget to leave us a review. And you can also follow us on many social media channels. Just search for Pier 54 Podcast. Also, we are not perfect, so if there is something that we missed or messed up, just let us know by emailing us at peer54podcast at gmail.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.